Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. He called us to discipleship, to servanthood, to serve the lost and broken, to evangelism, to see the world know his name. We are called to pray. We are called to worship. We are called to love as Jesus loved and to live as he lived, to be righteous, to be set apart. These things are essential. This is Essential Church. starting to get more comfortable with masks when you forget you have one on. I can't believe I just said that. Jesus, have mercy on us. <laughs> Hang on, I'm going to throw this down. Perfect. Wow. Well, uh, it's great to be here, uh, you know, amongst the frozen chosen uh, of the Lord Jesus Christ. And I guarantee there's a crown for you uh, that are serving the Lord in these frigid temperatures, and uh, hallelujah. Thank God for a building, amen, and thank God for a home. Thank God for the gas and oil industry. This message is, no. Uh, <laughs> thank God we are warm at home. I just woke up this morning and praised the Lord that my furnace is working, so thank God for uh, plumbers and furnace guys that go out and fix others that aren't, because it's a terribly cold, cold time. But it's warm in our hearts. What a beautiful presence of God uh, and beautiful presence in praise and worship this morning. We discovered last week that uh, Jesus had a mission statement, and that mission was to glorify his Father. You can read about it in John 17, the high priestly prayer of Jesus. He said, my, my, my mission, Lord, my, is to bring glory to you by completing the work that you gave me to do. And what was that work that uh, was given to Jesus? We found out last week from Luke 19.10. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save that which was lost. And what we discovered as we went through that it was not only a, or were people lost, but a promise was lost. And that promise is found all throughout the Bible. And in the Bible, uh, those promises are kind of this partnership between God and man. They're called covenants. That all throughout the Bible, God would establish a promise or a covenant with mankind. He'd say, you do, do, you do this, I'll do this, and together you'll be blessed. And uh, really what we found out and discovered is that mankind was really good at breaking covenant with God. And so that created a huge problem because God wanted us to have this life and life abundant this inc incredible promises that God wanted us to have and experience, and yet we could never really re uh, receive them or f find them because we kept breaking our end of the bargain. What we found out last week was that Jesus rediscovered the promise of God. In fact, he went into the promised land, he went through Jericho, and he took back the promises that were lost by mankind. And so we all say amen and amen that through Jesus... I can receive the promises of God, and then we just all say, hallelujah, amen, problem solved, or is it? Because what we're going to discover today, that the problem in the church 
today is also its greatest solution. And we need to know that if we're really going to find the freedom that God wants us to have. Well, let's read Hebrews chapter 10 to find out what that promise might be or what the problem might be in the church today and how that problem is also its greatest solution. Hebrews 10 says, Day after day, every priest stands and performs his religious duties. Again and again, he offers the same sacrifices which can never take away sins. But when this priest had offered for all time one sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. Since that time, he waits for his enemies to be made his footstool, because by one sacrifice he has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. Then he adds, their sins and lawless acts I will remember no more. And where he has been forgiven, there is no longer any sacrifice for sin. The greatest problem in the church today is sacrifice for sin. The solution to all of our problems in the church today is sacrifice for sin. Father, thank you for today. Thank you for your people. Thank you for your presence. Give us eyes that see and ears that hear and hearts that receive and respond to you. For you are a good, good Father. And I pray for understanding in your house today. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, I said the greatest problem in the church today is sacrifice for sin. If you uh, want to understand this more fully and completely, I encourage you to read the book of Hebrews. The book of Hebrews really talks about this, and particularly from the 5th, 6th, 7th, 8th, 9th, and 10th chapter, probably 7 to 10 is really where it focuses on that. So if you want some extra homework, you can go into that. But in chapter 5, it says, uh, Paul kind of, or not Paul, the writer of Hebrews, uh, they don't know who it is. Uh, kind of rebukes the church, and this is what he says. In fact, though, at this time, you ought to be teachers. You need someone to teach you the elementary truths of God's word all over again. You need milk, not solid food. For anyone who lives on milk, being still an infant, is not acquainted with the teachings about righteousness. What does it mean to be righteous? And this is what is happening in this. And you see, righteousness means, as we know, right standing with God. It's very simple. It's actually the pursuit of every single religion in the world. Every single religion pursues righteousness. And every single religion comes up with their own way of doing it. They all have this, like, if you do this list of do's and, and stay away from this list of don'ts, then you're going to be righteous. If you make these sacrifices, then you're going to be righteous. And they all go through this. They all have their lists. They all have their things. And the problem is, is that none of us measure up. And I'm going to show you a picture that I've showed you several times in this church. And if you've ever taken a class from Pastor Peter on the beginnings of our church, you'll understand and see what this picture really is about. This is the difference between religion and every other, uh, Christianity and every other religion of the world. This is critical. This is teaching about righteousness. You see, the religions of the world on the left-hand side there all have fallen short of reaching God. doesn't matter what you do. Good works, worship, sacrifice, God is up there. You're trying to reach him with all your energy, all your effort, everything you can do, and you fall short. The other side is true Christianity, where God has reached mankind through Jesus Christ. So the foundation becomes God, and we build up upon that foundation. Did you notice that on the right and on the left, they're actually doing the same things? 
They're doing the same things. Good works, worship, and sacrifice. You see, we understand, you know, uh, we'll get back to that in a moment, but just get that picture locked into your head and into your mind. This is the difference between false Christianity and every other religion in the world and true Christianity. And so you, you need to understand this. This is what the writer in Hebrews is saying. You, instead of, you know, you should be teaching the word, but you're, you're unacquainted with the teachings about righteousness. Guys, this is the foundation of discipleship. You must understand this one truth, that you are right with God through what Christ has done, not through your religious efforts. Well, let's go through this and just talk about it for a moment. Let's say somebody comes up to me, and I, won't, uh, I have a, a hairdresser or a barber who's from a different religion, and he often, will often talk religious stuff and together, and uh, he, uh, he'll say, you know, I've been observing your life. Let's say he is, this, this is an example. Uh, you know, I, he would say to me, I can see that you, uh, you read your holy book every day. I see that you pray for like one hour a day. I see that you give 10% of your income, and then over and above that sometimes, you give money to your church, and I see that you tell people about your God, and I, that's very commendable. He, so then he says, does that make you right with your God? And I say, no. And then he gets kind of confused, and he's like, well, he says, I, I, you know, I don't understand. He says, because if you're right with your God, then I, I must be more right, because he says, I pray two hours every day. And I give 25% of my income to my, my, my religion. And, and, and then he goes on and he's like, and I, I go around and I tell people and I, I'm, I'm passionate about sharing our message with this world. And, and I, I do all kinds of things. And, and, I, and then he says to me, am I more right than you? And I say, I, I, you know, no. <laughs> he's like, how can you be so sure that you are right with your God and then tell me that I'm not right with my God? I do more than you. And I say, well, I... I can tell you for sure because I'm not right with my God by what I do or fail to do. I am right with my God by what he has done. And it's this confusing moment for him because he doesn't quite understand that faith is the critical key to receiving righteousness. You see, we know that in Romans 3.23, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and all are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came through Christ Jesus free free <laughs> that's a crazy scripture you all fall short but freely god will give you the gift of righteousness he will give you what you could never ever earn i said the problem in the church today is this sacrifice for sin you say well because many christians would stand up and shout and agree amen me as i preach this right now but I still believe that there's a problem in the church today that we keep offering sacrifices for sin. I think we need to understand that if we're really going to be free and build our lives upon righteousness. Now, the Christian life is meant to be a sacrificial life. Don't get me wrong. But our sacrifices, there's a difference between good sacrifices and bad sacrifices. Good sacrifices are those things that you and I do because we are right with God. Bad sacrifices are those things that you and I do to try and be right with God. That's the difference. And so we need to get that. We need to grasp that. And you say, well, Pastor Greg, I don't remember the last time I sacrificed a sheep unless I was 
cooking it to eat, but I don't remember sacrificing one to God. You see, you remember in the Old Testament that uh, they would sacrifice animals in order to atone for their sins, the blood offering it was called, in order to cover their sins, and I know we don't do that today, but how many of you know there's all kinds of sacrifices that you and I make sometimes to try and be right with God? Our text kind of started off and said, day after day, every priest stands and performs his religious duties. Again and again, he offers the same sacrifices which can never take their sins away. Sounds like our lives sometimes, day after day, again and again, year in, year out, religious duties. Well, what are some of the sacrifices that we offer to try to be right with God? Just hang in there. I think self-martyrdom is one of the great sacrifices that the church brings to be right with God. We try crucifying ourselves, whether it's to get God's pity or just to fulfill the bumper sticker on our cars of our life that says, I owe, I owe, it's off to work, I go. I think that sometimes we feel that way as Christians. You know, we, we have this debt that we have to pay back. And I'm going to tell you some of, the, some of the self-sacrifices that you and I offer. Here's one of them. Uh, probably the biggest one is the refusal to forgive ourselves when we fail. So many Christians think that if I beat myself up, I grew up Catholic, and uh, I have to be honest, sometimes, you know, that was kind of part, I had two nun, aunts that were nuns, and uh, uh, so, you know, we, we learn the self-sacrificial life sometimes, but it doesn't really work, guys. You know, I think living in condemnation, saying, you know, I, I think sometimes we think this crazy thought, and here's the crazy thought, you know, we, we do something wrong, and then we feel terrible, and we start to beat ourselves up. And then we have this thought, and we don't really say it out loud, but this is what we're saying. If I hadn't done this thing, then I would be right with God. But now I did this thing, now I have to beat myself up in order to be right with God. And we don't even realize that we're actually offering a sacrifice for our sins. Are you following me? And so sometimes we do this as the church, and, and, and you, know, you know, if I haven't done this, if I haven't done this, then God would still love me. God would still be with me. Nothing changes. God saw everything that you're ever going to do. God saw everything you've done in your past. God sees everything you're going to do in your future, and he has chosen by faith, if you will believe him, to give you the gift of righteousness. You can't earn it. You don't deserve it. And I love this thought. You can never disillusion God. He had no illusions of you in the first place. None. He never did. <laughs> he knew exactly what he was getting into when he got into your life and into my life. And yet in his generous love, he has chosen to give us righteousness. You see, God is not impressed, church. Listen to me. He is not impressed when we beat ourselves up. But he is impressed when we believe him in spite of our many failures. That's what impresses God. He credits us as righteous when we actually trust him. So this idea of self-martyrdom doesn't really work with God. In fact, it's offering a sacrifice for our sins. How about self-righteousness, comparing ourselves to others, maybe to distract God, I'm not sure. Our bumper sticker on this car would read, God is watching you and so am I. It's not a good place to live in self-righteousness. We relate our innocence by how we measure up to others. Can I just give you a little hint about life right now? It's not hard 
to live more righteously than the world right now. Like, if you don't kill somebody, you're, you're pretty well, you're there. You, you with me? Like, it, it is brutal out there, you guys. And so if you think that by comparing yourself to the world and saying, well, I'm a little better than them, therefore I'm righteous, God, look at how good I am. And some of us Christians forget, I do, I forget sometimes that I am different because God is in my life. You know, my wife and I were talking about this the other day saying, man, thank, I, I mean, this sounds crazy, to, but I said, thank God for the Christian bubble. I mean, like, dear Lord. The world is so brutal. Like, I get into stories in people's lives, and my wife works in a, in a rescue shelter, and she gets into stories, and we're just looking at each other going, oh, my Lord, thank you, Jesus, that we are of the faith. Thank you, Jesus, that our kids serve the Lord. Thank you, Jesus, that we, wow, 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 what a blessing we have just because we're in the faith with Christ. You know, we understand, and we, try, we start sacrificing other people and sacrificing ourselves, and we start saying, well, I'm better than them, and I'm better than them, and I've done that. I've, I, I forget sometimes that God has changed me. I, I am different because I'm related to Christ now. I'm not the same person I was, and I don't do and have the same appetites I had. That's been removed from my life by the power and the grace and the mercy of God. Hallelujah. Amen. But every once in a while, if I start living on this self-sacrificing or this, you know, this self-righteous angle, the problem becomes I meet somebody who's a little better than me. And then I start sacrificing myself. Man, they preach better than me. Man, they pray better than me. Man, they're better looking than me. Man, they're, man look at me. I'm so, oh God, I'm such a wreck. And then, and then I've got this comparison going on. How many know there's no life there? There's no life in that. You see, here's the problem. When I compare myself with you and you compare yourself with me, the problem is, is that you and I are not the standard of measurement. <laughs> That's the problem. And the minute we think that, the minute we think that, we, we are unacquainted with the teachings about righteousness, church. The minute you start going there, you know, I've, I've shared this before in the past, but imagine if God had only one rule for you to get to heaven, only one rule for you to be righteous, and that rule was jump to the moon. Now, we're so crazy and foolish, you know what we start doing? Practicing Jumping. And so we really work hard at it, and we get really good, and I, I, I get going, and I start going, I'm not even going to try it, but let's say I just, I'm working out, I'm, I'm dieting, I'm exercising, and I get two feet off the ground, and it's spectacular. Wow, a two-foot vertical, that is, I'm not even going to try, but that, that's spectacular. But then I meet these CrossFit guys, and they're going nuts, and they're insane, and, and this guy is going nine feet off the ground, how is that even possible, a nine-foot vertical, I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm going to burn. And everybody's heralding and worshiping the nine-foot vertical guy going, wow, 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 look at you. You're unbelievable. That is incredible. Look at how high that you get. The problem is that he only has 238,000 miles to go. It's hardly a reason to boast that you can jump nine feet and seven feet higher than other people when you have 238,000 miles to go to the moon. Are you following me? This is what we don't comprehend or equate. It doesn't matter how right or how many things that you do. You're not righteous by the things that you do. You're righteous by what Christ has done and placing your faith within him. That is it. And so we offer these sacrifices for our sin. See, Romans 8 says this, and I'm just going to read it to you. It's not going to come up on your screen. Those who think they can do it on their own end up obsessed with measuring their own moral muscle but never get around to exercising it in real life. 
Those who trust God's action in them find that God's spirit is in them, living and breathing God. Obsession with self in these matters is a dead-end road. Attention to God leads us into the open, spacious, free life. Focusing on God is the opposite of focusing on yourself. And don't you understand, church, that religion gets you to focus on you, focus on you, focus on you. How do I look? How am I doing? How do I look to you? What, what's going on? And, and you, we cry out to God and we say, am I acceptable now? Am I acceptable now? I keep beating myself. I keep, I keep trying harder. I keep trying harder. And God's like, you're not acceptable based on what you've done. And we're like, why? I'm doing more, Lord. Why don't you give me another chance? You ever done that? Oh, God, I'm sorry I failed again. God, I'm sorry I sinned again. Give me another chance. And God's like, it has nothing to do with how many chances you get. You know, it doesn't move his hand. Why would that not move his hand? It seems right. It sounds right. It seems good. If I just try harder, if I just do more, why wouldn't you accept that sacrifice, Lord? And if we could listen to God, he would say to us, because if I accepted that sacrifice, then I could not accept my, sin sac- my son's sacrifice for your sins. You can't pick and choose when you accept Christ's sacrifice for your sin. And when you lift up your own sacrifices for sin, it's the greatest problem in the church today. We're only reached because of what Christ has done. I said to you that the greatest sacrifice for sin, sacrifice for sin was the greatest problem in the church today. But sacrifice for sin is the solution to all of our problems as well. How is that possible? Well, Hebrews 12, 10 says this, 10, 12 says, but when this priest Jesus had offered for all time one sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. What's with this sacrifice that Jesus offered? Number one is this, it's universal. It's for all time (laughs) and available for all people. Hallelujah. He offers one sacrifice for sins. Now understand something. The Jewish temple, they would have continual sacrifices happening. The priests would work day and night to take these sacrifices in. And they, they would take them and they would cut up the lambs or the goats or the sheep or the bulls or different things. And they would offer them and they would offer these sacrifices. And it was like the barbecue was cooking all the time. You'd smell this sacrifice for sin. Constant reminder. You don't measure up. Constant reminder. You have to keep sacrificing. Constant reminder. Your work is never done. By the way, there's no, there's no chairs in the temple of God all but one. There's only one seat in all of the temple of God. Only one. And so the priest stood day after day, night after night, week after week, all the time, offering sacrifices, offering sacrifices, continually, continually. But this Jesus comes and he offers one sacrifice for all time. And he sits down. Which is the second thought we need to understand. It's complete. It's finished. I told you the priest never sat down. (laughs) There's no chairs. They sat in only one seat. There was only one seat in the temple and nobody could ever sit there. That one seat was in a place called the Holy of Holies. It was covered by this huge curtain, three-inch thick woven curtain from ceiling to floor, 30 feet high. And one, one person could go in once a year and sprinkle this place called the mercy seat where the, two, the cherubim would sit and they would be bowed be t- before this, this chair. And on this one chair, the mercy seat of God, they would come and he would sprinkle the blood for, for the atonement of the sins of the people and then he'd get out of that room. 
I mean, it was crazy, guys. They would fill this room full of smoke. He could go in. He could barely see. He'd just barely find where the ark is. He'd sprinkle it with blood, pray a prayer, and get out of there to atone for the sins. But this is what this is saying. There's one chair, one seat that's in this temple. But Jesus goes in, and he sits down. And this is where he sits. (laughs) Hebrews 9 says this, 12. It's not going to come up on your screen, but you can look it up. And he entered once and forever into the holiest sanctuary of all. Not with the blood of an animal sacrifice, but with the sacred blood of his own sacrifice. And he alone made our salvation secure forever. Whoo! He goes. He goes and he offers himself in this holy of holies, the place where only one person could go once a year. And he offers himself and he sits on the mercy seat. He's seated. And if you want proof of that, when Mary goes in and looks into the temple, remember Mary Magdalene goes in and looks and they see into the temple where Jesus' body was. Do you remember that? And they look in the temple and they look in and she sees two men dressed in white on, on either end of where the body of Jesus was laid. And Jesus is no longer there. Guys, it's a picture of the Ark of the Covenant. It's a picture of the mercy seat. His body was sacrificed and Jesus is not in that moment because he's gone to the heavenly place to make intercession for you and I. And he is seated in the place of mercy so that when you and I come to him and confess our sins, he says, I've covered it. It is finished. Hallelujah. Woo-hoo-hoo! Come on, it's complete. And he says, their sins and their lawless acts I will remember no more. And where these have been forgiven, listen to this, there is no longer any sacrifice for sin. Wow, hallelujah. Church, he took our place, sinful, broken, separated from God, falling short, trying to reach God, trying to strain, trying to do good works. And he said, if you'll just accept my sacrifice, I will make the foundation righteousness. This is essential Christianity, church. This is the core of believing and going forward right here. I've said this before, and if we don't get it, we need to get it today. You start at the finish line. Are you ready for the race? Yes. Okay, get to the finish line. Get to, get to the starting line. Get, to the, get ready. Get ready. Get ready. Receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior. Poop, you win. Woo! You're at the finish line. <laughs> what do you mean I win? You win. You are right with God. This is the foundation of the church. How can that be possible? How can I win? Well, here it goes in the, the text we read in Hebrews 10. I'll read it again. Hebrews 10, 14. Because by one sacrifice, he has made perfect forever those who are still being made holy. Woo! See, church, listen to me. Listen to me. Positionally, positionally, when God looks at you, he sees Jesus. If that's not true, you're doomed. (laughs) You can't make it on your own. When he looks at you, he sees Christ. And, I, and you need to get that by one sacrifice. He has made you perfect forever. Yet you're still being made holy. Your experience doesn't say that I'm perfect. I still have all kinds of problems, all kinds of brokenness. That's not how God sees you. He sees the work is complete. 
And so the call of the church today, listen to me carefully, I plead with you, believe it. <laughs> Have faith. Have faith in your Father. Listen to me, guys, I've told you this so many times. The world's shaking. Everything in this world is shaking. Everything man can do is shaking. Not, it's not going to work. It's not going to work. It's not going to work. Only what God has done is going to work. So we need to be bent and yielding to this reality that we need to have faith. We need to trust God. The Message Bible puts that same scripture. As a priest, Christ made a single sacrifice for sins, and that was it. Then he sat down right beside God in the mercy seat, and he waited for his enemies to cave in. It was a perfect sacrifice by a perfect, perfect person to perfect some very imperfect people. Wow. So our understanding of our righteousness in Christ's finished work is essential, essential to Christian growth. So if God doesn't want our sacrifices, what does he want? I didn't put these on your screen, but you can write them down. Number one is this, to rest in his sacrifice. Trust, right? Hebrews 3 says this, it is clear that they could not enter into their inheritance because they wrapped their hearts in unbelief. Guys, God is so good that he has made a way for wicked people to be right with him. Believe it. Believe it. So we rest in his sacrifice. Here's the second thing you do. Here's the sacrifice you can offer, a good sacrifice. Rejoice in his sacrifice. We bring the sacrifice of praise into the house of the Lord. That's it. It's all we got. It's all we got. <laughs> wow, 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 God. What you have done, God is worthy of our highest praise. God, that you have made a way for Greg Fraser to be saved. God, thank you. Thank you. And lastly, we just respond to his sacrifice. The greatest story of response to the sacrifice of God is seen at the cross. When Jesus was crucified, there were two thieves that were crucified on either side of him. We're going to get ready for communion in just a moment here. So if you have your communion cups, get ready. Thief on his right and a thief on his left. And the Bible actually records, you can read it yourself in Matthew 27, verse 44. It says, in the same way, the robbers who were crucified with him also heaped insults onto him. See, I, never, I don't remember that, Pastor Greg. I remember it saying that one of the robbers turned to him. But do you understand? He started first by heaping insults onto Jesus like everyone else. But then he's on the cross. He's on the cross and he's listening to Jesus. And he's listening to Jesus say, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. And he's listening to Jesus caring for his mother. And he says, Today, this woman is entering into your house. John, she's going to be your mom. You're going to be her, her son. You're going to take... He's listening to this Jesus say these unbelievable things as he's dying on the cross. And something changes in the heart of this thief. 
And the other thief keeps saying, well, Jesus, why don't you get yourself down and get us down? And then the one thief that finally finds faith and finds hope in Christ, he says, don't you fear God? This man has done nothing wrong. And then he turns to Jesus on the cross. And he says, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus turns to the guy and says, this day, this day, you shall be with me in paradise. He doesn't turn to the guy and say, get down off the cross and do some good with your life, you dirty, rotten, filthy thief. Oh, I remember, weren't you the guy just cursing me out? Weren't you the guy just saying bad stuff about me? Too bad. No, no. In a simple act of faith, where that man could do nothing, he could offer no sacrifice but faith. Jesus received him. Wow. 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 Take that communion emblem right now. If you're at home, sorry, we didn't tell you to get ready for communion. I don't know, did you do that, Pastor Peter? I can't remember. We'll do it next service. Run right now, get a cracker, we'll wait for you. You're stumbling right now. Just get that cracker. We're waiting. Put the coffee down. Put the coffee down and go get a cracker. <laughs> it takes a while for us to open these communion emblems, so we're all good. You know, guys, I want you to understand something. Communion is a celebration of everything I just preached. That's what it is saying I can't measure up on my own I could never earn this I don't deserve it but by your blood that was shed and your body that was broken I have become one with you I have been made right with God and this is what communion is church so if that's you here today and you're saying well okay pastor I want you to take that communion cup and I want you to take that piece of bread and remember that Christ was broken so that you, who are broken, could be made whole. Amen? Partake of that bread right now. And on the night Christ was betrayed, he took the cup, and he said, this is the cup of the new covenant. This is the cup of my blood that was shed for you for the forgiveness of sins. See, the new covenant, remember we talked about all the covenants that were broken by man, but now there's a new covenant, and the new covenant is between the Father and the Son, and we abide under that covenant by faith, not by what we do or what we fail to do. We're going to talk about that in the weeks to come. Let's partake of that wine, that grape juice. So here's the ending. If you're a Christian here today, stop offering sacrifices for sin and start trusting and having faith in the one sacrifice that changes everything. Amen? And if you're not a Christian, just like that thief on the cross, you can do nothing to earn righteousness. 
but you can have the gift of righteousness by simply saying, Jesus, forgive me. Come into my life. Help me to live with you and for you. If that's you online today, let us know that you've made that commitment to Jesus Christ today, that you've asked him to come into your heart. You can do nothing to earn it. You don't deserve it, but you can have it by faith. Amen and amen. Let's pray a prayer for those that prayed online or if you're in this room and you want to make that commitment of your life right now to Jesus. Let's pray it out loud together. Say, Heavenly Father, thank you for sending your son, Jesus, to die for me. I ask you to forgive my sins. Come into my life and make me right with God. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Let's give these people a hand if you were one of them here or those online. Let us know if you made that commitment. Let us know. Fill out a digital guest card. You can find that on the website to fill out and we're just really thankful for you. Church, God bless you. Go in the grace and the peace and the power of the Holy Spirit today and rest in his sacrifice. Rejoice in his sacrifice and respond to his sacrifice with faith. Amen? Let's do that. Let's give the Lord one more hand clap and then we're going to go.